Chapter 8. Part of Something Big Because Isis's spinal muscular atrophy product was the first antisense drug in kids, and the first antisense drug that got delivered to the brain, and the first antisense drug given via bolus injection to the spine, there were myriad ethical questions to work through in the Phase 1 and Phase 2 studies. Many of them had to do with enrolling babies into clinical trials, these tiny humans who could not speak for themselves. But some questions had to do with all those firsts. There were a lot of unknowns, and anything unknown in a clinical trial is a risk. The risks meant the FDA wanted ISIS to start at low doses, yet Kathy Bishop and Frank Bennett and Adrian Craner and the rest of the people working on this drug were skeptical that the low doses would have any effect. In essence, that meant the clinical trials would subject sick children to an uncomfortable lumbar puncture and an unproven drug that would reach their brain given at a dose level that was unlikely to help them. That seemed all risk and no benefit. Was that ethical? Time and time again, the team worked their way back to the same position. Nothing was going to change for the SMA community without risk and sacrifice. The clinicians knew it, ISIS knew it, and the parents knew it too. As Diane Larson said, the only way the future changes is if someone takes a chance with their kid. But new questions arose as the drug advanced toward phase three. These would be blinded trials, not open label. And there would be a placebo or sham arm in which children were given only a needle prick at the base of the spine and were not injected with drug. Placebo-controlled studies are the hallmark necessity of clinical trials, but this deepened ISIS's ethical quandary. Now, for certain, some already weak children would be subjected to the rigors of a trial but would not receive any potential benefit. Here's Richard Finkel, who is chief of the Division of Neurology at Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando, one of the clinical sites. This is where I had to have uh, several sit-down talks with ethicists and uh, with colleagues uh, in medical ethics uh, at other institutions and at the NIH and really think about how does one do this properly? Because the, the parents are desperate. They know that without this potential treatment that their baby's going to die, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just a matter of when. So, and, and we know that parents go into these clinical trials really with one eye closed, looking at it from the point of view as a treatment option, not really focusing on the fact that it's an experiment. It's an investigational study. So I think the challenge to the clinician when faced with this situation, okay, we have this drug that looks very promising um, and we have these desperate parents who will sign on a dotted line for anything because they know what the alternative is, but how do you do it in an ethically sound way? And in the end, I think as difficult as it was for the parents to get their head around the idea that um, there was this sham control group and that their child had a one in three chance of being assigned randomly to that group, they flocked to this study. There were very few who balked and said, no, I'm not going to do this. Some parents did balk, of course. There were a small number who thanked Richard and then took their child home to provide as much comfort as possible until the inevitable end. But to his surprise, almost uniformly, Richard said, most parents saw a chance to throw themselves actively into the fight against SMA, and they took it. It's hard for me to put myself in those parents' shoes and think if I would be as magnanimous as they were, to be able to 
even think beyond their own little baby and how horrible the situation was and to and to be able to look at the broader picture and the fact that yes this is an experiment and my baby not may not benefit but uh, mankind hopefully will and maybe the next baby that comes along will be able to benefit i was just astonished by how frequently the the parents uh, independently would would come to that uh, realization if spinal muscular atrophy and the slow death of a child is one of the worst things that can befall us, then the response of these parents is its antidote. They were able to recognize the possibility of helping others, even when facing the worst event of their lives. It is remarkable, but this sort of magnanimity happened more than once during the trials. From Nature Biotechnology, I'm Brady Huggett, and this is Hope Lies in Dreams. Biogen had its doubts early on about the SMA program. It was becoming convinced that, in general, antisense drugs might be effective against central nervous system diseases. In late June 2012, Isis and Biogen announced a collaboration on a drug for myotonic dystrophy 1, a genetic neuromuscular disease that leads to muscle atrophy, weakness, and spasms. Kathy Bishop would lead that program. Then, in December 2012, the company signed another, similarly structured deal this time around three undisclosed targets. The next year, in 2013, they signed their fourth collaboration with Biogen, this one the richest yet. It was set for six years and aimed more broadly at neurological diseases. It garnered ISIS $100 million up front, with as much as $220 million more tied to specific achievements and payments to help with any eventual clinical trials. The deal was big enough to make the business shows. Biogen, IDEC, and ISIS Pharmaceutical have announced a strategic collaboration to advance the treatment of neurological disorders. Here now with more, Dr. Stanley Crook, Chairman and CEO of ISIS Pharmaceuticals. Uh, Dr. Crook, congrats. It's a, it's a nice uh, chunk of change to help you further uh, your technology. I have some, uh, you've been on so many times over the years, and I've watched the development of Antisense uh, technology, and I've watched some of the setbacks, some of the stuff that, that, that has happened in the past. There have been times when I wondered whether it was a viable technology. Do we know now that, that, that Antisense works and will be part of, uh, of uh, therapeutic um, biotech in the future? Absolutely. I think uh, ISIS invented it and we validated it. You know, we just had a drug approved for the treatment of uh, high cholesterol. Uh, and we have evidence uh, in multiple organs, multiple targets, multiple diseases, multiple routes of administration that Antisense works, and obviously uh, one of the uh, reasons that Biogen it has invested now in the fourth deal, uh, which is the strategic deal that we've done with them in the last two years, is that uh, it works. Doubters still existed, as evidenced by that Squawk Box clip. But Biogen had seen enough, and it tightened the working partnership between the companies. The two groups were culturally similar, with comparable thoughts about science and innovation and patience. They recognized that in each other, 
and they valued it. Yet Biogen still had not officially licensed the SMA program. Though it worked closely with ISIS, it was waiting to see how the drug did in a fully controlled, blinded study in a larger patient population. And ISIS thought the drug was ready for that step. Nearly all indications suggested ISIS SMNRX was safe and was providing some level of benefit to these sick children. Yet ISIS needed the bigger study in order to prove it. And a lot hung on that trial. Here's Kathy. And we really felt like we only had one chance at it. Mm-hmm. Um, if we designed the trials wrong, that we wouldn't be able to redo it. People then would lose their faith in the drug and not want to commit to doing it again. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think at the time we were still really, um, had a lot of people had doubts about the drug. Um, so although at that point we'd done the phase one safety trials um, and we had shown some improvement because there are open label trials, people didn't quite believe in it. But before it could start, the team needed to deal with a crisis. In the phase two trial in infants, three babies died. Infants diagnosed with symptomatic SMA are by default the sickest. They have the most severe form of the disease, with prognoses that generally do not extend beyond two years. Even something like pneumonia might put the infant onto a ventilator, which can start the downward slide toward death. It had always been a possibility that children would die in the trial. ISIS and Biogen knew that going in. Now it had happened. As unproven as ISIS SMNRX still was, Kathy Bishop didn't think the drug had caused the deaths. Doug Kerr, a neurologist and the global medical director for the SMA program at Biogen, didn't think the drug was to blame either. But without proof that the deaths were a result of the disease and not the drug, the program was in danger. Phase three trials take a huge time commitment and a lot of money. Any remaining skeptics on Biogen's board might latch onto the deceased babies and suggest the company's money go someplace more promising. The only way to get to the truth of the deaths was with an autopsy. The realities of the trials had been discussed with parents before enrollment, but it was impossible for them to not have hope when signing their babies up. Now, for three families, that hope had been dashed and their children lost. In the midst of this grief, this heartbreak, they were confronted with having to consent to an autopsy. It was a situation Kathy could barely envision and something Doug still thinks about. If you can imagine, you have this baby in the trial, you have all this hope from being in the trial. Um, and then your child dies anyways. Um, they were under such stress, but they agreed um, to donate their um, baby's brains for the autopsy. Why do you think the parents uh, agreed to that? Yeah, and they had to agree right away because um, the brains... You can't because wait. Because yeah. of the... You can't wait. You need the tissue that's fresh, that's still... Um, so they had to grieve basically within 24 hours of their child passing away. So I just can't imagine what that would be like. Here's Doug Kerr. The courage that they showed um, to go into the study and then, of course, those who, had, who consented for the autopsy was amazing. Just, just like one of the m- more amazing, dramatic moments, certainly, of my life. The autopsies gave the SMA team exactly what it needed. Results confirmed that ISIS SMNRX was reaching the motor neurons of the spinal cord at levels that were predicted to be meaningful and that the drug was acting through its intended mechanism of action. The autopsies also revealed that splicing of pre-messenger RNA was corrected, resulting in an upregulation of the SMN protein. These findings cleared the drug of causation for the deaths, 
but it also helped with dosage planning for the phase three study. Here's Doug. And the two things that it suggested was, one, get patients earlier. I mean, come on. You know, once they're in this phase, it may be really hard to pull back from this because it's such an apocalyptic decline. And two, get more drug in faster. And that's one of the things that we did as we went to the phase three is instead of a a slow um, titration of three doses over, I think it was three months, it's four over two. Though there had been no placebo-controlled trials, the clinicians involved in the earlier studies, like Daryl DeVivo and Richard Finkel, had noted that the drug appeared to arrest the decline in these babies, and in some cases they seemed improved. Knowing this, it was difficult to consider including a sham arm in the trial, where a sick baby would get nothing during these crucial months of their disease, especially because ISIS already thought it had a drug that might help. So the team turned to the FDA for advice. Here's Richard. To the FDA's credit, they said, look, if you do a randomized controlled study and you put a sufficient number of patients in the study and you pick an outcome measure that is very robust, something that we're never going to see in this population, such as sitting, you just don't see type 1 babies sit, and by definition, they don't. But if you, if you can just show us that a certain percentage of these babies achieve sitting and that you have improved survival... Uh, and you have an internal control group, and the drug is safe and well-tolerated, and you do an interim analysis, then we are going to be more inclined to pass judgment early, and you would gain regulatory approval and be able to then have the drug prescribed widely for children with SMA. At the beginning of August 2014, ISIS announced it was starting its phase three program, first with a trial called Endear. The study was double-blinded, meaning neither clinician nor patient knew if they were getting drug, and it had a sham procedure arm. The study was set for 13 months across 31 clinical sites. It had the primary endpoint of the proportion of babies that died or were put on a permanent ventilator, and it also gauged improvements across a range of motor milestones, such as rolling, sitting, and crawling. There would be an interim analysis, as the FDA had suggested. It had taken some 25 years of developing antisense chemistry to get to this point. It took more than a decade of Adrian Craner's efforts, at least $100 million from the SMA Foundation and the attention and efforts of all the other SMA groups. But perhaps most importantly, it took the courage of parents and their sick children who stepped forward in the name of progress. The study enrolled 122 babies. 41 of them got the sham pinprick at the base of the spine. 81 of them were scheduled to be given 12 milligram doses of Isis SMNRX on day one of the study, then again on day 15, day 29, 64, 183, and finally day 302. In November 2014, ISIS launched the Phase 3 CHERISH trial in non-ambulatory SMA children between 2 and 12 years of age. It enrolled 126 patients, 42 in the sham arm and 84 in the treatment arm, spread across 24 locations. These children were given 12 milligram doses on day one, day 29, 85, and day 274. The primary endpoint was changed from baseline at 15 months in the Hammersmith Functional Motor Scale. 33 specific activities scored to assess motor function in SMA children. The two studies were conducted under special protocol assessment with the FDA, meaning that both sides were already in agreement on the specifics. 
the FDA had laid out how it would like to see the trials run and what it wanted to see for approval, and ISIS had built the studies in response. It had been more than 120 years since SMA was first identified as a disease. But now things were moving quickly. For six months, Diane and Matthew Larson waited for Emma to turn two years old so they could enroll her in the trial. Six months of anxiety as Emma incrementally got weaker. When her birthday arrived, her gift was a trip to Columbia University Medical Center. They screened her, and she was accepted into the Cherish trial. A hopeful moment for the family, but it also brought up some mixed feelings. Here's Diane. It, it's a weird position to be in, too, because you're hoping your child gets the medicine. You're hoping your child gets the medicine, but what does that mean when you think about it? It means somebody doesn't. It's not. Yeah. And it's a very crappy feeling. Yeah. You know, you want your kid to get it, but you want everybody to get it. It's, it really is... Um, Going through that whole process is a very emotional process. The first injection, given in the beginning of March 2015, required Emma to stay flat on her back for six hours, a precautionary move in the trial that was later proved unnecessary. It was a struggle to keep Emma still, Diane said. They spent the night in the hospital together just in case Emma had a reaction, passing the time by watching movies and educational programs on an iPad. And then they went home. They returned about a month later, and then about two months after that, with Emma again spending six hours on her back after the injections, but on those visits, no overnight stays. Before each dose, Emma had pre-op blood work and strength tests and x-rays. It was a lot to put a child through. And then a change came. So the third injection, all of a sudden, as the story's crazy, but um, I was in the bedroom and Emma was in the den. You gotta remember, she didn't really move much, so it's like you put her somewhere and she really couldn't go far, so you, you know, put toys around her. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden I hear, mommy, mommy. I'm like, oh, yes, Emma, so I'll be right there, right there. Mommy, and then I hear the voice getting closer and closer. And next thing you know, she's sitting at the doorstep. And I'm like, come on down, I'm like, are you, what the hell? I go, Emma, did you just call in here? She goes, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, no freaking way. I picked her up, put her back in the den. I said, do that again. I said, Emma, come. And then she crawled all the way back. Now you gotta understand, she couldn't even crawl two feet yep. prior to this. Now three injections, she's crawling. So I'm like, did we get the medicine? Like, it, this is like a miracle. I was in tears that day. I was like, this is insane. From your kid barely moving to crawling from one room to the other. Diane, like everyone else, was blind in the trial. She didn't know if Emma was getting the drug or not, but she knew what she saw. Diane is part of the extended SMA community. It's a tight-knit group. Diane describes it as loving, and it has a strong social media presence. Those with babies and children in these studies were posting moments just like this one from Diane, and there was a growing sense in the community that the drug was working, at least in some of these kids. There were too many anecdotal stories for it not to be. The importance of the trial and the need for clean data were not overlooked, but still, anyone not in the study wanted what they were seeing online. The trials rolled through 2015. Meanwhile, ISIS prepared for the future. It started the SHINE study in October 
an open-label extension for both Endear and Cherish participants, allowing them to stay on the drug after their Phase 3 ended. By this time, 20 infants in the open-label Phase 2 study had been on the drug for 29 months, and the 30 children in their Phase 2 had been getting Isis SMNRX for 46 months. Biogen was now evaluating the drug, too. It had launched a blinded, sham-controlled study called Embrace to include SMA patients who did not meet the age requirements of Endear or Cherish. And in spring of 2015, Biogen launched an open-label Phase two trial called Nurture. Nurture was Doug Kerr's idea. He'd long thought, given his experience as a neurologist, that the key to any SMA therapy was reaching patients earlier, even before they had symptoms, if that was possible. And I knew from my work in SMA and from treating patients with SMA that essentially by the time you come to clinical awareness of disease, that you know the, the, the infant is floppy and is having trouble sucking and feeding and things like that, you've essentially lost function of 50, 60, 70% of your motor neurons, that so much of that has occurred when you were not aware of it, that by definition, that reduces the therapeutic opportunity you have if you wait until symptom onset. Animal models of SMA had shown greater benefit when the drug was given early, but Doug wanted to be earlier than early. He thought there might be a chance for normal function to occur if patients were treated before they showed any symptoms at all. It became really an obsession is to figure out how do we do this. And it, you know, it was very challenging in first because there was no test for SMA from a dried blood spot. Um, nobody did it. Nobody yep. figured out how to do it or why to do it. Um, and the reason was because there was no therapy. Doug wouldn't let it go, however. Working with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Biogen figured out how to multiplex, Doug said, with a dried blood spot test for the disease Severe Combined Immunodeficiency, also called SCID. Technically, detecting the presence of the exon 7 SMN1 gene was no problem from a similar test, and it was also easy enough to determine the severity of the disease through a blood draw. The harder part was making the test available. So we pretty quickly got to the idea that we could identify these patients. And we, we had trouble for a while getting anybody who would be willing to deploy it because they said, why? What are we going to do? And it turned... Meaning, what good is this information if we can't treat these children? That's right. And my initial reaction was two things. One, um, getting a child diagnosed and to a tertiary care center where they could get appropriate occupational and physical and, rec and respiratory and nutritional support would be very compelling and, and has been shown in published literature to have a positive benefit on that child. That alone is sufficient, but it didn't really work. Um, people were kind of unwilling to, to do that, to, to roll out this pilot testing on a dried blood spot. Um, and so we, we talked about the, the data that we were developing in the ongoing symptomatic SMA clinical trials and said, look, he, here's what we're seeing. And it looks real. And it would probably be better if it were administered earlier, before the onset of symptoms. And ultimately, several places did come on board and that became nurture trial, and this was Taiwan and New York and several other places. And it, it uh, 
it turned out to kind of be really important that we were able to identify them and treat them um, early. The Nurture trial was officially announced in March 2015. It was set to stay open for 10 years to February 2025 and follow patients for 2,891 days. It enrolled 25 babies, all less than six weeks old, all genetically confirmed to have SMA. The study had a primary endpoint of time to death or respiratory intervention. It had a long list of secondary endpoints, including metrics around weight, head and chest circumference, motor milestones, and percentage of participants that developed clinically manifested SMA. The idea was to get the drug into these babies before they ever exhibited symptoms, hoping Isis SMNRX could keep the disease completely at bay. The first patient, a baby boy named Gabriel, was enrolled in the trial May 20th, 2015. He was just nine days old. ISIS's string of clinical and marketplace failures had caused the public to view Antisense and the company with doubt. ISIS was long used to that. But in the second half of 2014, it began to have a different sort of public relations problem. Breaking news tonight. We want to welcome our viewers from around the world to this breaking news coverage. An American journalist has been beheaded by ISIS terrorists. A video showing the horrific killing. We begin with this morning's top story, confronting ISIS, the murderous Islamic State group in Iraq and Syria. The Pentagon is warning that ISIS... NBC News Special Report. Here's Brian Williams. And good day from New York. We're coming on the air, sadly, to report video evidence that sh seems to show another American has been beheaded by the radical ISIS militants. In this case, another American journalist. The name ISIS had suddenly become synonymous with a grisly brand of terrorism. It was difficult to see ISIS's stock ticker, ISIS, popping up on business television shows and websites and not think of their recent beheadings and threats against America and other Western democracies. Fund managers who held ISIS stock were forced to answer questions from investors about why they had put money into an extremist terrorist group. The coincidence for ISIS, the drug company, was irritating, to say the least. But Stan, in typical Stan fashion, refused to back down. He had the name first, for decades now, and anyway, his company had done nothing wrong. Here he is in September 2014, on Mad Money, a circus of an investing show on CNBC, run by Jim Cramer. Over the years, Stan and Jim had developed a good working relationship. Cramer frequently plumped for ISIS's stock, which he felt was undervalued and Stan appreciated being able to speak directly to investors. Here's Jim. I have to ask you something that is not, that is, a, that is frankly something I don't want to ask you because I think you're, you are serious scientists and your company's serious. The name, okay, so I mentioned to people that uh, I have ISIS on tonight, uh, ISIS Pharmaceuticals, and we know the unfortunate connect, uh, connection with an outfit that the president now calls ISIL. But, I mean, what do you tell people? Do you tell people, listen, this is an unfortunate coincidence? You just, you can't laugh off things, and you're a serious guy. So I just am actually asking for help about how to talk about the company when I mention the name. Uh, it drives me crazy. Um, and, but we're not a retail company. Our investors should be sophisticated. And uh, we've been ISIS for 25 years, and I don't, feel like I want to capitulate to these terrorists by changing my name. They can change their name. But of course, ISIS, the terrorist group, 
did not go away. It continued its beheadings in the months ahead and then committed a series of coordinated attacks in Paris on November 13, 2015, that shook the world. At least four restaurants and bars were hit in just a matter of minutes. The epicenter of the attack, though, would be the Bataclan, a concert venue. Gunmen stormed the packed music venue. At the end of the attacks across Paris, 130 people had been killed and hundreds more wounded. By then, for ISIS pharmaceuticals, it was just too much. The terrorist group would go down on the wrong side of history and take the name ISIS with it. About a week before the Christmas holiday in 2015, Stan Crook's company changed its name to Ionis Pharmaceuticals and their stock ticker to IONS, IONS. Stan went back on mad money and told Kramer the name change rids us of a distraction, which the company needed to do because Ionis had a lot going on. It planned to finish enrollment in three phase three trials in 2016, the most noteworthy being the ongoing SMA studies. Yet, except for the name change, from the outside, Ionis looked the same as it always had as 2015 ended. A company, now approaching three decades of existence, still pursuing a technology that it had zero tangible success with. Yes, it had earned approval for two drugs, but neither of them had done anything for patients or the bottom line. Ionis brought in $284 million in revenue in 2015, its highest total ever. But it also posted a net loss that year of $88 million and its accumulated net loss for the company's entire history was about $1.1 billion. Biotech companies are notorious for burning through money and requiring a long runway for success, but ISIS was well beyond the mean. Inside its walls, though, things indeed did look different. Ionis had more than 1,300 patents worldwide, and besides the SMA drug, it had 25 other clinical programs ongoing. Ionis now had created version 2.5 of its antisense chemistry, a constrained ethyl oligonucleotide containing Gatmer technology, which increased potency by 10, and it had moved four of those drugs into development. Ionis had also developed a technology called LICA, which stood for ligand conjugated antisense. In essence, this involved attaching to the antisense molecule a ligand capable of binding to certain cell surface receptors, giving the molecule a higher level of specificity. The ligand was N-acetylgalactosamine, and it binds an azelo-glycoprotein receptor on hepatocytes. Ionis had employed the Leica technology to eight drugs in its pipeline by this time, all aimed at the liver. So the R&D machine was humming, as it always was. But if success in drug development is measured by helping patients, Ionis was still a company without success. Now, as 2016 began, Ionis had a golden chance in front of it, validate its decades of work by helping a group of patients in dire need of a treatment. For months, the trials moved along. Patients got their lumbar injections, or they got their sham needle prick in the small of their backs. These trial participants were seen by physical therapists who gauged their health, their strength, and their motor skills. Then, on the first day of August in 2016, Ionis and Biogen put out a press release concerning the Endear trial in babies. They had reached the interim analysis, and the results were unequivocal. The trial met the pre-specified endpoint based on achievement in motor milestones compared to the control group. The drug had been given a generic name, nusinersen, and full results of the trial, later published, showed that 51% of infants who got nusinersen had a motor milestone response, while 0% did in the sham arm. The likelihood for event-free and overall survival were higher in the drug arm of the trial. Also, it was clear that infants with shorter disease duration at screening 
benefited more than the sicker ones, as Doug Kerr had suspected. It was exhilarating news. Ionis's stock leaped 36% on the day to close at just over $38 a share. The surge was mostly due to the positive results, but it also had to do with all the news that came with it. Biogen had exercised its option to develop and sell Nusinersen globally, paying Ionis $75 million. Also, the Endear trial was stopped, and all patients rolled into the Shine open-label study. The ethical question had reached its final answer. It was no longer fair to keep these sick babies on the sham procedure when the drug was so clearly working. The data were so strong that a phase two study called Embrace also stopped the sham arm and moved the infantile onset SMA patients to the drug. But Nurture, the trial for pre-symptomatic babies, continued onward, as did Cherish, the phase three trial in children. Investors were bullish, though some still worried about the side effects or a yet unseen safety signal. Biogen was hopeful, but cautious. Stan, however, was sure an approval would follow, and he had been for a while. As I say, I was convinced that we had a, 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 a magical drug, you know, long before the interim analysis. I mean, because I, I, I was watching these babies live. <laughs> yeah. I felt that this was the most obvious success that I had ever seen. Biogen, now the official sponsor for the drug, worked furiously to submit a package to the FDA. The regulatory authority had agreed to a rolling submission, meaning the process could begin and stay open, with Biogen handing over additional data whenever it had a new analysis. The FDA had also granted a priority review voucher for the drug, based on it being directed at a rare pediatric disease, and this would expedite the process of examining the application. The companies completed the FDA submission just before the end of September, and by the end of October, both the FDA and the European Medicines Agency had accepted their respective submissions. And the companies had landed on a brand name for the drug, Spinraza. In early November, the Cherish trial reported its interim results. This was Emma's study, and the children in it were consistent with type 2 sufferers. The results were also unquestionably positive. In the 84-patient treatment arm, children averaged a 4.0 improvement on the Hammersmith Functional Motor Scale Expanded Test, while the 42 patients in the sham arm declined by a mean of 1.9 points. Spinraza had not only arrested the disease's progression, but also some children demonstrated improvement. The drug seemed safe, too. No children dropped out of the study. As with Endear, the Cherish trial was stopped on the good results, and all participants were given the opportunity to transition to the Shine open-label study, where they continued to receive Spinraza. Biogen supplied the Cherish data to the FDA, which included it in their assessment of Spinraza. The regulator said it hoped to rule on the drug before May 23rd, 2017. The good news kept coming. In early December, Biogen fed the FDA new information from the earlier phase two study in babies, showing that 11 of 20 infants in the trial had survived to 36 months. Historically, only 1.5% of type 1 SMA patients live to two years. And now, the FDA had more than enough information in front of it. It cleared Spinraza in all types of SMA patients on December 23, 2016, the day before Christmas Eve. In its communication, the FDA was careful to note that some children did not respond in the trial. It noted that some babies died. It also noted that the earlier a patient could access the drug, the better. But, it concluded, there is no doubt that the efficacy of Spinraza for SMA has been demonstrated. 
Advocacy Group Cure SMA Chief Scientific Officer Jill Jarecki called December 23rd a landmark day. And other groups like the SMA Foundation and the Muscular Dystrophy Association put out their own statements on the approval. Online, however, there was a kind of catharsis. On Facebook, some tied the approval to the coming holiday, calling it the best Christmas blessing ever, or a Christmas miracle. Others thank God, either directly or for allowing the scientists to come up with Spinraza. Many were aware that the drug had come too late for thousands upon thousands of children and grandchildren. And one woman wrote that each child and each one that passed contributed to this moment. Some asked whether Spinraza would be available in their country or worried over its cost. But mostly responses pointed to a vast collective release. I cried when I heard the news, a woman wrote. Diane Larson cried too. The FDA, Ionis, and Biogen put out their own releases, but the approval had come quicker than most had expected, and there was little coverage among the general media. Forbes ran an article noting one of the year's most important drug approvals, and the Wall Street Journal initially ran a small item, pulling a quote from the FDA's press release. The New York Times published a piece the following week calling SMA a savage disease and quoting a physician who described Spinraza as a miracle, but the majority of the article focused on drug costs. There was little else unless you count the San Diego Tribune, which regularly covered Ionis as it was one of San Diego's flagship biotechs. The paper ran an article detailing what SMA was and the great need for therapy and the potential market for Spinraza. It included a quote from Stan Crook, who was only too happy to repeat what he'd been saying all along. What the approval says is once again that antisense works, Stan told the paper. The same day as approval, Ionis issued a statement to the broader SMA community. It was signed by the entire team at Ionis Pharmaceuticals and started by saying the company felt privileged to have brought Spinraza to market. We very much appreciate the contributions of the entire SMA community, the amazing advocacy organizations CureSMA and SMA Foundation, and countless others who have contributed to SMA research, the statement read. It went on to thank all families who participated in the trials, and near the end, it noted that you, the community, the parents, and the families are the true heroes in the creation of Spinraza, and it has been our honor to have made this journey with you. The drug also meant something to the neurologists, these doctors who had told parents over and over, for decades, that their child had a terrible disease and medicine had nothing for them. Those days were finished. Here's Daryl DeVivo. I want to tell you that is one of the high points in my whole professional life, which is a long time. I've been at it for 60 years or so. And, you know, that there's nothing like it. It's just fabulous. Because I can remember vividly sitting with parents in the office usually when they come in with their three-month-old or something who's clearly got weakness and making a diagnosis of SMA and saying, gee whiz, this is terrible. We got, we've got a huge problem here. I wish we had something to offer, but other than some symptomatic efforts, you know, we, we really can't effectively improve your child's condition. It's a miserable discussion. I, I've had many of them, and I always left as sad as the parents did in talking with them. And now I'm overjoyed to say, I'm never going to have to have that discussion again. That had been the scene that played out for Diane and Matthew and Emma. They had been told there was nothing to do, and that while no one was sure how long Emma would survive, it was almost certain Diane and Matthew would outlive their child. That had once been their grim future, and now it had been replaced. 
it was going to be a lot of care, a lot, you know, she was just basically, you know, I, I would be feeding, clothing, bathing her and, you know, I just, it's a lot of despair. It really is. Like, I can't describe it any other way. Like, yeah. there's no hope. Yeah. We have no hope. That's really bad. Like, that's really, yeah, it's, when there's no hope, you're just, you're just complete, like I said, despair. There's no other word to describe it. Um, and then as she got stronger, I say the first year, then it was like, it really hit me. It was like, oh, we, we, we can manage this. We can manage. Because there's hope. She's not getting any worse. Yeah. Like, even if she just stayed as she was, like, when she got better, I'm like, we can do this. Yeah. Emma is eight years old now, cute as a button. She gets around with a walker. She's smart and well-behaved. I never have to discipline her, Diane told me. She's a good kid. She has a good heart. Every four months, Emma still gets her magic medicine, as Diane calls it. And every once in a while, Diane will tell her, you were part of something big. Thanks to Stan Crook, now and always. Thanks to Richard Finkel for his clinical expertise and memories. Thanks to Diane, Matthew, and Emma Larson for opening up their lives. If you listen closely, you can hear Emma chattering on in the background of some of Diane's interviews. Thanks to Kathy Bishop and Doug Kerr for their insight into the Spinraza clinical trials. Thank you to Daryl DeVivo. News clips around the terrorist group ISIS in order were taken from CNN, CBS, NBC, and the Canadian Broadcasting Company. Sound mix and original theme by Brian Flood. All art created by Aaron DeWalt. Hope Lies in Dreams was written and produced by me, Brady Huggett. Go to the homepage of Nature Biotechnology to find the landing page for this podcast, which includes a list of sources, historical photos, and a transcript of this and the previous seven chapters. Chapter 9 will be out in a week. Until then, 